chapter 4. Last week we finished chapter 3, and we saw that man who had been lame from birth, put there at the gate beautiful, and we saw him being healed by the Lord Jesus Christ as Peter and John walked by him. And on that day, God gave those men the gift of faith, first of all, to know that the Lord wanted to heal him on that day uh, because they had seen him on many other days and occasions. Uh, That's implied in the text. Everyone knew who he was. They would lay them out there daily. It was uh, the gate beautiful or the the eastern gate. It's, it's, It's one of the main entrances into the temple area. So no doubt Peter and John saw him before. But on that day, God gave them the gift of faith to believe the Lord was going to heal him on that day because it was God's will for him to be healed on that day. And remember, they said, silver and gold we don't have for you, but in the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. And a miracle and a healing took place. And as that happened, remember, that man began to leap and to, to rejoice and to worship the Lord. And uh, the, the people that were there assembled at the temple began you know, to rush to see what was going on is no doubt a commotion broke out. And from there, as they looked amazed, Peter and John, and, and uh, Peter in particular, preached to them and talked to them about the bad news, that they had crucified Christ, but the good news, that Christ was resurrected and called them to repentance and to uh, you know have their sins blotted out and receive refreshing from the presence of the Lord. And that's where we stopped at the end of chapter 3. Well, this morning, this account, it continues into chapter 4 as we read that as Peter preached that uh, the religious leaders came upon them and seized them and arrested them. And uh, they were in prison all night. And the next day, uh, we know that they stood trial before these men. And uh, sadly... Uh, these who the gospel first came to once again rejected the gospel. But while all this was going on, the multitudes that had heard, it says the number of men grew up to 5,000. And we saw that it had grown to 3,000 there in two. And it says the men that were saved grew to 5,000. And that was just the men. And so despite uh, the rejection we'll see this morning, there was a drawing to the gospel despite, you know what, physical threats and so forth. And uh, that's a real work of the Holy Spirit. We'll consider that. And then we're going to see from there that the Lord had even allowed this to happen. And God allows these things to happen. We need to remember that. Our God is on the throne. The things going on in the world today, God's allowing these things to happen. He wants to bring forth uh, salvation through these things in people's lives. I know He wants to awaken the church to be about the business of God and uh, absolutely, it is, a, it, is a, it is a reminder to all the world that time's short and our life can be changed very, very quickly. And uh, you know what, as, as this happened, God allowed it to be an opportunity for Peter to preach to these religious Jews and give them a platform. And then again, we touched on, and we'll touch on again, they rejected that and then they threatened them not to preach the name of Jesus anymore, we'll see and they basically come back with saying, we got to do what God would have us to do. And uh, we see Peter and John and the apostles walking in the fear of God, but these religious people walking in the fear of man because they knew they had to let them go because of the people they had seen a miracle. So what we're going to do this morning, we're going we're to look at 22 verses. And so we're going to read a few verses at a time. Uh, we talked a little bit about where, we, where we've been and where we're going. So let's just start into this right now. Verse Verse 1, it says, now as he spoke to the people, the priest, the captain of, or the, as he spoke to the people, excuse me, the priest, the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them and being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. And one thing we got to know, and we see this throughout the Word of God, we see this talked about in the epistles and in places in the scriptures, whenever you're moving forward in the Lord, you need to know that all the more the enemy of our soul is going to be stirred up, and all the more he's going to rise up. 
He's going to rally his troops to try to oppose the worship of God, fellowship in the Lord, the proclamation of the scriptures, those things that God has called us to walk in. We touched on this Wednesday night in Psalm 83, where it talks about this conspiracy, this uh, you know, a network of nations that's going to come against Israel actually in the near future. And in talking about the enemies of God, in Psalm 83, 2, it says, For behold, your enemies make a tumult. And the word tumult there means a loud noise to bring confusion. And it says, Those who hate you have lifted up their head, and they have taken crafty counsel against your people and consulted together against your shattered ones. Psalm 83, verse 2. And three, and the enemy, again, he's always on the move. We talked about it Wednesday night. He doesn't take days off. And especially when there's movement in the kingdom of God, so to speak, when God's people on earth are about heavenly business, all the more the enemy is going to rise his head up. He's going to create a tumult. He's going to try to create a confusion. He's going to try to all the more oppose the work of the Lord as we see in this passage. And we see men moving in these passages, but we got to remember that first and foremost, our enemy isn't flesh and blood, as we read in Ephesians 6.10, but our enemy is Satan himself. It's his cohorts. It's those fallen angels that fell when they tried to rise up against God in the scriptures. Reminder of these things specifically in Ephesians 6.10. And I know it's a passage we look at often, but we want to consider it afresh this morning. It says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against, notice here, the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, notice, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. And indeed, listen, it's the evil day. And the enemy is stirred up today, just as he was on this day that we are reading about. And we got to remember as we look at things unfolding around us that the enemy isn't flesh and blood, though we'll see that there are people that... They yield to the enemy, and others, they're pawns of the devil, and definitely man has a will involved in this, and many people are resistant to the things of God, a very antichrist, and as Philippians 3.18, it talks about enemies of the cross. We need to know they're there, but let's remember, first and foremost, there's a spiritual battle taking place around us, and uh, we even look across our nation, and you know, you see a lot of protests of things that are happening. And there, listen, there's a place for that kind of thing. But how many prayer meetings are happening? How many, how many folks are getting on their knees crying out to the Lord? And uh, that's where we need to be found. First and foremost, crying out to Him. And so the enemy rallies his, his troops. Again, first of all, it's a spiritual war. And yet the enemy himself, again, he uses individuals. And he's using these individuals here to come against the gospel. And we read about <clears throat> enemies of the cross as we refer there to Philippians 3.18. Or you think of 2 Corinthians 11.13 through 15, it says, For such are false apostles and deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, this is very interesting, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing, notice here, if his ministers also transfer themselves, transform themselves into ministers of righteousness whose ends will be according to their works. So it talks here about Satan having ministers. And this sounds like individuals that know they are on the side of the wicked one. I think it would probably also talk about pawns that are just antichrists that really don't realize who's pulling the streams. But we see here who the enemy is. First and foremost, it's the spiritual enemy. And secondly, then there are people that our spiritual enemy uses and works through, some willingly and other unknowingly. But we got to know that there is a battle taking place around us. And how sad that it's these people, that it's the, the, the priest and the captain of the temple and these religious leaders, because the gospel at first come to them. And now again, once again, we see them rejecting the gospel. And the outcome for this 
for them would not be good. Indeed, soon after this, in, in the, the soon years to come, they would be scattered, and they would be scattered there from Jerusalem and scattered over the earth, and yet God has been faithful to them, even though they've been faithless to the Lord, even regathering Israel in these last days, and we know again, eventually all Israel will be saved. Now look at their main gripe against them. It, it, it wasn't that they weren't social distancing or at the beach, but it was because they were preaching the gospel. They were preaching the resurrection through Jesus Christ, and the Bible was being taught, and the enemy of our soul hates that more than anything. Remember again in chapter 3, Peter took them to the bad news, said you're sinners, said you crucified the Christ, then he took them to the good news, but God resurrected them on the third day. He talked about prophecy, the prophecy of the Lord's first coming, the prophecy of the Lord's second coming, when he'll bring times of refreshing and all things will be restored. And then in Acts 3.19, he said to them, repent and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come for the presence of the Lord, talking to them personally and personally being converted and personally having their sins blotted out and personally being refreshed, refreshed by the Lord. And listen, as it says in verse 2, they were greatly disturbed by this. They were greatly disturbed because, listen, when the gospel is preached and the word is taught, God is glorified, and the enemy of our soul hates that. He wants the glory, and enemies of the cross want the glory for themselves. Also, listen, the church was being edified. This was an outreach situation, but listen, no doubt there was many members of the church there. They were being edified, and they were being built up, and then, praise God, souls were being saved. People were being snatched out of the flames of hell, being brought into the kingdom of God, and it greatly disturbed the enemy, and absolutely he was stirred up, laid hands on them, and put them into custody, came against them. And one thing we got to know, listen, if a church is going to preach the word, if individuals are going to preach the word, they're going to teach God's word with an aim to walk in those things, there's going to be pushback from that. There's going to be warfare that happens. There's going to be spiritual warfare. There's going to be individuals that Satan used to try to come against that work, to try to infiltrate that work, and so forth. But where you find groups of people who come together in the name of Jesus, but they're not preaching the gospel, they're not really teaching the Bible, maybe they're just talking about it but not teaching it, or worse, twisting the scriptures, you got to know, oftentimes the enemy will let that ride. In fact, we read here about his ministers who are false apostles and deceitful workers. They transform themselves into workers of light, but they're of the darkness. You got to know where the word of God is not really being taught, where the gospel with the bad news and the good news is not being proclaimed. Oftentimes, the enemy will even promote and empower that. He'll back that because he knows truth's not found there. Listen, the best lies are always those that are closest to the truth. So again, they lay hands on them from there. They arrest them. And it's amazing when you consider the scriptures, how many men of God end up behind bars in the scriptures. You think about Joseph, you know, in prison there in Egypt. You think about Daniel and the lion's den. You look at just about every prophet in the Bible at one point or another is seized and put into prison. John the Baptist, the greatest of those Old Testament prophets. We read about it, Peter, James, and John. Jesus is three, you know, in his inner circle. They all end up being in prison. James is martyred for the gospel. The apostle Paul, listen, he writes many of the, the epistles from prison, and even Jesus himself was arrested, and he was in prison that night that he was uh, unlawfully trialed, then tried, then he was put in prison, and then the next day brought out an unlawfully tried more. And we read about these things. You know what? We read about them, not just to read about the accounts, but we read about them even knowing that that could possibly happen to us at some point. I think to have us step back and ask the question, what would we do if they said, hey, we're going to seize you and we're going to arrest you if you keep preaching this Jesus. Because, listen, not only do we read about these accounts of these men being arrested, but more so 
time and time again, we read about the faithfulness of God to them in the midst of that. When they walk not in the fear of man, but they walk in the fear of God. And we see that in this chapter, once again, God being faithful to them as they walk with the fear of God, not with the fear of man. Listen, we're living in days where we see the beginning of sorrows talked about uh, the Olivet Discourse when Jesus answered the question, what will be the signs of the end of the age and his coming? I remember we've touched on this a lot recently. He said there'll be a lot of deception. Take heed that no one deceives you. He says there'll be wars and rumors of wars. Nation will rise up against nation, kingdom against kingdom. He talks about an increasing amount of earthquakes, which there's a great increasing of those. Famines and troubles and even pestilence or pandemics. We see these things unfolding all around us. But then notice also what he said in Mark 13, 9. He says, but watch out for yourselves, for they will deliver you up to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you'll be brought before rulers and kings. Notice here, for my sake, for a testimony to them. And the gospel must be first preached to all the nations. And when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you'll speak, but whatever is given you in that hour, speak that. For it's not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Now brother will betray brother to death, and a father, his child, children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death, and you'll be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. And that time is upon us, that time is coming upon us in that we see these things increasing. I think the main thing is if, if you know what, in the, in the course of all that's going on in the world, if you're arrested, make sure it's for his cause and not for yours. Make sure you don't blur those lines because the devil's got a lot of bait out there that's really not the calling of God. And so we want to be led by the Lord. And we got to know again, he says, this is for my sake. I've seen over the years where individuals have been used by the enemy to oppose the work of the Lord, even at times even opposing the work in our fellowship here. And boy, I've seen it just become a platform to preach Jesus to a lot of people we wouldn't have opportunity to preach Jesus to if those things hadn't happened. More than one planning commission or city council meeting where I remember one night, person after person went up as we were doing a building project, and there was opposition, and it became a, a, a platform to preach Jesus. And person after person came up and just talked about what Jesus had done in their life and how God had saved them, and you know, the, the, the impact of hearing the gospel at, you know, this little church on Portola Road, and, and people with tears, and I heard some amens and hallelujahs, and I thought, this is awesome. God's used this as a platform to preach the gospel. And that's what was going on here in Acts 4. They were being arrested, and man was thinking, we're going to stop this. Really what was happening is that a platform was being given to preach to them. And not only would they not stop this, this would just make the momentum get greater and greater in the proclamation of the gospel, as we'll see. And people getting saved, as we'll see. Verse 4, he says, however... Many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. That's just the number of the men. That's not talking about the women and the children. So a great revival is broken out. They went from 120 in that upper room, then it says 3,000 were added, and then it says the Lord added daily. And no doubt, this is just a short time later, 5,000 men now have come to faith in the Lord. And this is in the midst of seeing the two guys preaching the gospel, getting, you know what, hands laid on them and arrested. They hauled them off to jail. And as a result of that, you don't see this, oh boy, we don't want anything to do with this. But we see more and more people, perhaps over a thousand that day, coming to faith in Jesus, maybe up to 2,000 coming to faith in Jesus, but I think the math would be wrong on that because he was adding daily after the 3,000 there in Acts. But listen, people responded. And as you look at God's word, as you consider the book of Acts, as you consider the epistles, as you consider church history, even as you look at the world today, 
When the church is under persecution, it seems that it flourishes the most. It's when Saul would go and begin to, you know, really persecute the church in Jerusalem, they would be scattered, and all the more the gospel would go forth and people would get saved. You look throughout church history, whenever there's a persecution on the church, you see more people getting saved and coming to the Lord. And you look around our world today, and where do we see the church growing the most and more people coming to the Lord than anywhere else? It's in those places where there's the most amount of persecution. I think we should ask the question, why is that the case? And I'll give you three thoughts. Three thoughts that I have, and I think I can back it biblically why that's the case. I think, number one, it's because when there's persecution from the hand of man, when you don't know what's going to come next, where a lot of your comforts are, are are stripped from you and the things we look at here for you know what, uh, a refuge, those things are taken away. You know what happens? There's more of a real dependency upon God Almighty. And when that's, that, when that's there, God greatly empowers that. Because it's all the more you're putting your faith and your hope and you're anchoring it in God, not in this stuff that's going to come and go. In fact, we see it in the latter half of this chapter. Because after they're, they're released and they preach the gospel, they threaten them and they leave. They go and they have a prayer meeting, and we'll look at this next week. And as they're having this prayer meeting, once again, the Holy Ghost is poured out on them in a great measure, and they go forth speaking God's word with boldness. They're empowered because their focus is on God, and their dependency is upon God. And we got to make it our aim, even when that heavy persecution isn't there. And we have a lot of freedoms where we're at. I, I know a lot of people say, we don't have those freedoms right now. And yeah, a lot of them are, are, are being pressed in on, but we're, we're still in, in a place where we have such free opportunity that's not in other places. And that's where we got to work hard to be dependent upon God, not on all of the perks that we got. It's so important. Also, when these things happen, the sheep and the goat, goats, they get divided. False brethren start bailing out when all of a sudden there's a persecution. Remember, the hireling flees when the wolf comes around. And when you purge out the leaven, as we're told to do, even in 1 Corinthians 5, he says says in verse 8 of 1 Corinthians 5, Let us keep the feast not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And when fire comes in, there's a refining that happens. The dross gets separated from the silver and the gold. The wheat and the tares get separated. The goats leave. The sheep are there. And then all of a sudden, there's worship and sincerity and truth. And where there's sincerity and truth, again, you're going to find a flourishing fellowship. Truth sets you free. And then also, listen, this is a powerful witness. When people see that you have something worth being imprisoned for, worth losing your rights over, worth dying for. It's of more value than temporary pleasures and simple things that people live for. And no doubt on this day when those people saw it, and it didn't deter them, but all the more as they seen that miracle, they saw the preaching of the gospel, they saw these men willing to be arrested. It brought a legitimacy to their testimony. That what they said was true. Because who would stand there and be arrested if you were making the whole thing up? They said, that's okay. It's worth being arrested for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We know this is true. In fact, Saul himself, who would become the apostle Paul, he gives his testimony at a later time. And he talks about Stephen who he was there when Stephen was stoned for the, <clears throat> excuse me, gospel of Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 7, he was there. He said, they laid robes at my feet. And why would we re- he, re- he refer to that unless it was because it made an impact on him? He was a man of great zeal, and he saw this man with a zeal that outmatched his, and that Paul was killing people in the name of God, though he was doing it ignorantly, and God had not instructed him to do that, and he saw a man willing to die in the name of God. 
willing to lay down his life for the cause of Christ. And it made a great impact on the Apostle Paul. He stood back and scratched his head. This isn't supposed to happen, no doubt, is what went through his mind. Verse 5, it says, And it came to pass on the next day that the rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. Listen, this is the same crew who had condemned and crucified the Lord, had conspired against him. These same rulers, as well as Annas, the high priest. Remember, Caiaphas was also the high priest. He was his son-in-law. John and Alexander were also of his household. And remember, Annas would be the high priest continually, but he would have these puppet high priests, which would be Caiaphas, John, and Alexander. Listen, this was an evil people. It was an evil family. How sad that the family business was wickedness. That they're all listed here. As many were as the family of the high priest. That's a sad thing, especially when you see a group of people that have an air of self-righteousness or religious, you know, a religion, or, you know, today sometimes you even see this in Christianity. Oh, we're all Christians, but you really get to the core. There's a wickedness there. They're not yielded to God. They're about their own wisdom, and, 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 and it consumes a whole family. It becomes the culture. It becomes cult-like. And listen, if that's you, you need to leave that. You need to come out of that. You need to put the Lord first and not bid needed. I've seen that to be the ruin of more than one person. They bid need of the family crest over the cross of Jesus Christ. And that's what's going on with this crew. They're coming together with, with, against the Lord. And, and they're doing it thinking they have so much power. But the truth is, listen, they're, they're, they are like, like dust. They're like the chaff before the wind. We read about this again on Psalm 83 this last Wednesday night where I referred earlier to the group conspiring against the, the God and the people of God. Later on, he says, oh, my God, make them like the whirling dust, like dust, like chaff before the wind. And when you would separate the wheat from the chaff, the chaff would fall down and the wind would blow it away. They think they have so much power, but they don't have any. And listen, there's a lot of people running around our world today. They think they have a lot of power. And we see some people even flexing it over others, you know what, putting a heavy hand on people and even abusing the offices they were elected to, to represent the people and for the will of the people, but they're like chaff before the wind. Boy, people get fooled when they get into high places. These men were fooled. There was a judgment coming upon them and they couldn't see it. They believe their own press clipping, so to speak. Verse 7, it says, And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? And all this going on here, listen, it's a move to try to intimidate Peter and John. It's trying to invoke fear into their heart. Again, they set them in their midst. They're surrounding them, no doubt, with their, you know what, uh, their, their pomp, their circumstance, so to speak, their their robes, their, uh, you know, they were, they were very good at bullying people and so forth. And so they put them in a place, in, in, in a circle, so to speak, where they're bullying them and to put fear in them. And this is one of, we talked a lot about, about, we've talked a lot about this recently. This is one of the greatest weapons of the enemy to try to invoke fear in the people of God. And you see someone like Elijah in the Old Testament you know, and on Mount Carmel, calling fire from heaven, and then Jezebel threatens him, and he gets overtaken by fear. What's he do? He flees and he runs because of fear. And he had just moved in great faith, and then he gets struck by fear. Fear brings torment. We read in 1 John 4.18, and the enemy loves to bring fear. Even today, we see him, you know what, invoking fear and putting it on so many people, but we got a choice whether we're going to receive that or we're going to walk by faith. And here they are intimidating, trying to intimidate Peter and John, again, sitting them in the midst and so forth. But look what happens when you crucify fear and you walk by faith, when you trust in the Lord. Because they could have shrunk back right here and said, well, you know what? You know what? The guy just got healed. We walked by. 
he wanted something from us. We interchanged. Next thing we know, he was standing around and leaping and so forth. And yeah, that stuff we talked about, we, we, we really didn't mean that. And we just want to get out of here. And you know what? We just want to be on our way. Instead, though, they stand in faith. And they don't back down. And in verse 8, it says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel. What happened when he stepped out of faith? He was filled afresh with the Holy Spirit. He'd been filled on on the Pentecost, and now he's filled afresh again for that moment. God empowers him where he's not just topped off with the Holy Spirit, but now there's an overflowing, an empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And when we walk by faith, we get empowerment by God to move forward in what God has called us to do. And we got to remember that when we are tempted to walk in fear, we trust in God. God is going to meet us where we're at. And we see that with Peter. God blesses those biblical steps of faith. And then notice, he says, rulers of the people and elders of Israel. This is a wise move. He addresses them with respect. We're told of 1 Peter 3.15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. And in the New King James, it says with meekness and fear. Other translations say, you know what, with respect. Same thing, with a meekness. I'm giving respect. I'm giving honor where honor is due. He doesn't come at them with a personal attack. That's always the devil's bait. And it's easy when someone's coming against you, even when they're coming against you for your Christianity, to get in the flesh and come back against them and attack their person or, you know, return evil for evil. It's the devil's bait. Listen, you don't want to take that bait. You don't want to take that bait. I've had to learn that the hard way over the years where there's been times where I've taken that bait and nothing good comes out of that because immediately, you know what happens? The focus gets off of Jesus and it gets upon you. And I don't want the focus upon me. I want the focus upon Jesus Christ because now all of a sudden, the the opposition isn't against your gospel. It's against you and your behavior and your actions Even if it's like theirs, they don't see theirs or acknowledge theirs, but they're going to see yours, and they're going to acknowledge yours, and then they're going to make that the focal point. Oh, so much better to turn the other cheek. So much better to leave those things to God, those things of justice and so forth. So much better to be concerned about that person's salvation versus you winning the argument, or you outdoing them, or you putting them in a place where, again, you're bringing some sort of evil against them. And then in verse 9, though again, he is respectful with them. He doesn't attack them, but he absolutely addresses the situation at hand, and he deals in truth. He says, if this day we are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well. So again, he doesn't attack them, but he absolutely calls out their hypocrisy. Okay, we're here because of a good deed that was done by a guy. Are, are you getting this right now? And Peter was following Jesus' example in this. Jesus in John 10, 31, had healed on the Sabbath. And it says that the Jews took up stones again to stone him. And Jesus answered them, many good works I have shown you for my father. For which of these good works do you stone me? Boy, Peter's following Jesus' lead. Jesus had done the same thing to them. For what good works are you stoning me? And he's saying to them, you know what, why are we being judged for, you know what, uh, for a man being healed and a good thing done to him? And then in verse 10, he says, because he's setting them up for the bad news and the good news, he says, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands before you whole. So again, Peter gives all the glory to God. This man stands whole because of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, not me, not John, to Jesus be the glory. But then he calls out their sin. He's respectful with them, but he's truthful with them. There's a good balance in that. Rulers of Israel, he respects them, you know, in in, in the way he approaches them, but he absolutely says, you crucified Jesus Christ. He calls out their sin. We talked about this last week. We can't just preach the good news. We got to preach the bad news. 
We're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of our sin is death. We're under condemnation outside of Christ. And even as they crucified Christ, our sin put Christ on the cross. And that is bad news. It's horrible news. It's news that people don't want to hear. It's news that you get pushback from when people do hear it. They say, how dare you judge me? I'm not judging anybody. The, the scriptures judge. Shows we're all sinners. The Holy Spirit convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And we got to share that to be able to share the good news. Because it makes the good news all the better. It shows why the good news is the good news. We're sinners. We're condemned condemned to hell is the bad news. The good news, Jesus lived a sin-free life. He rose from the grave. And whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's phenomenal news. And he preaches that to them in this. He said, you crucified him, but God raised him from the dead. And that's the good news. He's been resurrected. He defeated sin, death, and Satan. 1 Corinthians 15.31, or excuse me, 15.21. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ also be made alive. In Christ. You got to be in Christ. If you put your faith in Christ, you'll be resurrected from the grave and obtain eternal life. Verse 11, he says, This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. You rejected the cornerstone. Now, this was a biblical prophecy out of Psalm 118 that they would be familiar with. But listen, they were also familiar with this. Because again, once again, Jesus had addressed them with this scripture times earlier. And Peter's just, all this is right out of things he's learned directly from Jesus. When he says, basically, you're arresting us for a good deed done to a man? When Jesus said, for what good deed do you try to arrest me? And now he says, this is the stone which the builders have rejected. And Jesus had talked to them about this. And it infuriated them in times past. They wanted to kill him for it, in fact. In Matthew 21, 42, Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is, a, is it not marvelous in our eyes? Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing fruits of it. And then Jesus said, Whoever falls on this stone will be broken but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. Now, when the chief priests and Pharisees heard this parable, they perceived that he was speaking of them. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitude because they took him for a prophet. So they had heard this before. In fact, just days earlier, this was Passion Week. The Lord had said this. And now here's Peter going right back to it. And basically, again, There's two options here. You either fall on him, broken, and he'll heal you, or he'll fall on you and crush you and grind you to powder. There's no third option. You either come to Christ and get saved, or you reject him and in your sin. And that's why he says next, there's there's not salvation in any other name under heaven. He is the only way. And Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Only Jesus defeated sin in his death and resurrection. Only Jesus offers salvation. Jesus is the only way to glory. And how sad, though, that there's so many today, even in the church, that don't know Jesus is the only way. There was a recent survey done by Lifeway Research, and it found that the majority of not just people that say they're Christians, but people that say they're evangelical Christians. And an evangelical Christian is supposed to be someone who believes in the Bible. The Bible triumphs all things. The Bible is the truth. And amongst evangelical Christians, 52% of them 
said most people are basically good. That's a problem. The Bible says there's no good, no, not one. It's the bad news. The bad news is that we're sinners. We're not good. And yet over half of supposed biblical Christians in title say that's not the case. They don't know the bad news. You got to know the bad news again to come to the good news. 51% of those people said God accepts the worship from all religions. So half of evangelical Christians, over half, say that all roads lead to God. He'll accept the worship from anywhere. But there's only one name under heaven by which we be saved, the name Jesus. And then maybe more frightening than all of that, 78% of those same people said Jesus was the first and greatest being created by God the Father. They think Jesus is a created being. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is why it's so important we go through the Bible. We went through the Gospel of John, and we saw the deity of Jesus Christ over and over and over again. It's frightening. The Bible says there's salvation, you know, and not found in any other name. He's the only way. And yet over half of what we call biblical Christianity or biblical Christians they say otherwise. Listen, this is the result, and this is what happens when false teachers are allowed to run them up in the body of Christ, where they are uh, being not only put up with, but being put up on platforms, and you see it all the time. And I talk about these guys at times, and listen, there are certain people that get frustrated with me for it, or they say you're being judgmental, Steve, or why are you naming names, Steve? What are you doing here? Because of the outcome of false teaching. Because you got half the people by this survey, by their remittance, they don't, oh, 78% of them don't even know the Jesus of the Bible. You better know Jesus is God. You got to confess him as Lord, not as a created being, but as Lord, as God Almighty, if you want to be saved. It comes from things like this. This is an interview, and I know I've picked on this guy a lot, but I'm going to pick on him again this morning. Joel Olstein was being interviewed by Larry King. And Larry King said to him, what if you're Jewish or Muslim, you don't accept Christ at all? And Joel Olstein said, you know, I'm very careful about saying who would or wouldn't go to heaven. I don't know. That was pretty I don't know. That was pretty good right there. And then King said, if you... If you believe you have to believe in Christ, they're wrong, aren't they? Real easy answer, right? Yeah, Larry, they are wrong. The Bible says there's only one name under heaven that can save you. It's Jesus Christ. Just stand on the word. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Yeah, Jesus said he's the only way. So yeah, they're wrong. But instead he says, well, I don't know if I believe they're wrong. I believe here's what the Bible teaches, and from the Christian faith, this is what I believe. But I just think that only God will judge a person's heart. I spent a lot of time in India with my father. I don't know about the religion, but I know they love God. And I don't know. I've seen their sincerity, so I don't know. I know for me and what the Bible teaches, I want to have a relationship with Jesus. I've been to India, and I don't know anything about the religion, but I know they love God. My wife was raised in that religion, and there's not a love for the God of the Bible there. That's demon worship. God loves those people. Jesus died on the cross for those people. There's a great movement of Christianity amongst those people, especially where they're the most persecuted. These people are in the darkness. They need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ preached by men not trembling in fear that they might lose their big platform and their basketball stadium where they tickle people's ears, but men of faith that would say, yes, Larry, they're damned to hell in their sin, and so are you, my friend. You need to call upon the name of Jesus Christ to be saved. How sad, how tragic. Not only that these characters are littered throughout Christianity, they're littered throughout of it, but so many preachers that know better let their books and their tapes and their teachings run amok in their own congregations. 
Because if they dare say anything, oh, you're being judgmental. No, that's called walking in love. That's called being a true shepherd, not a hireling or a wolf in sheep's clothing. Peter says here, we must be saved. We must be saved. Let's just read it word for word again. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by, we, by which we must be saved. We got to be saved. This is urgent. If people die in their sin, they're going to go to hell. That's why liars like Joel Osteen have to be called out. They can't be tolerated or excused or worse, followed. And they also, you know, it also needs to be called out the people that go and share the stage with them. The individuals that go up there and share the stage. Where's the fear of God in these things? Verse 13, it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized they had been with Jesus. A couple things here. Listen, number one, being with Jesus qualifies you for ministry more than anything else. Abiding in him, it empowers you. Remember Jesus said, if you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Why do we have the scriptures? We read for the, so the man of God could be equipped for every good work. And then the helper, the Holy Spirit, will teach you all things, Jesus said. John 14, 26. Yeah, they'd been with Jesus for some three and a half years. Jesus had equipped them. These guys were saying they were uneducated, untrained. Why? Because they hadn't been educated and trained by them. Praise God for that. Praise God these liars didn't get their grips on these men. But instead, they spent time with Jesus. And the Lord raised them up. And the Lord trained them. And the Lord emboldened them. And I'll tell you, you got to beware today of Christian educators. There's a few good ones out there, but boy, there is a lot of seminaries today. You know what they teach you? They teach you Joel Olstein Christianity, and you don't want anything to do with it. And in fact, it needs to be called out, and it needs to be brought into the light for the, the, the lie that it is. And sadly, it's becoming more and more the norm, not the exception. They marveled they'd been with Jesus. And I think they knew that, obviously, because they were Galileans. No doubt they have been following this growth of Christianity. And then notice, again, in Peter's message, he's just coming right out of Jesus' playbook and everything, and everything that he's doing and how he, he's approaching them. He's imitating Jesus. The things he saw Jesus do, the things he heard Jesus say, that's just coming forth from him. He didn't plan to even preach a message that day. They were going to the temple to pray. Lord gives them a gift of faith. A guy gets healed. Next thing you know, he's got a platform to preach, and it just comes forth from him what? The imitation of Jesus Christ. Saying what Jesus would say. Doing what Jesus would do. It's just supernatural because why? He had been with Jesus, not only when Jesus was on the earth, he was with Jesus daily in fellowship with our risen Lord. And that's how the Lord wants it to be for us, where we are in fellowship with Him. And then the ministry is just a supernatural byproduct of it. It just happens. Why? Because we're with Jesus. And that's why it's so sad when Jesus gets pushed out of the church and He's knocking, saying, hey, open the door. Let me come in. I'll dine with you. Oh, Lord, forgive us where we pushed you out. Verse 14, it says, and seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. When they had commanded them to go outside of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For indeed, that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we can't deny it. So like there's a real miracle that's happened. We all see it. What should we do? How about repent? <laughs> How about fall on your face and humble your heart, man? But they wouldn't humble their heart. They were full of pride. Boy, pride will take you to hell. You got to humble your heart and call upon Christ. So instead, they take counsel with one another. They're conspiring. How sad they're supposedly these 
religious leaders are not once do they pray or once do they go to the scripture. They don't say, hey, guys, maybe we should pray about this. You know, he, he, he mentions Psalm 118. Maybe we should go back and look at the scriptures and just, you know, call time out. Let them go. We'll have a prayer meeting. Let's dig into the scriptures. Someone just, you know, we know this guy. He, 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 he's over 40 years old. We'll read that here in a second. He's been at that gate beautiful forever. Notable miracles happen. We know the Christ we crucified is resurrected from the grave. Maybe we need to step back and consider these things and test them by the scriptures. But no, they don't do that. They don't pray. They don't consult the scriptures. They get together in a big group and figure out what we're going to do next. Oh, Lord, let that not be us. Verse 17, it says, But so that it spreads no further, they're still talking here, But so that it spreads no further among the people, let's severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name. So again, we're reminded Satan desperately wants to stop stop the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He'll do that by any means, severe threats. He does it often again with false gospels by lulling the church into complacency. Verse 18, it says, So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it's right in the sight of God, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God you judge. So again, they command them again, don't preach in the name of Jesus. And they said, listen, what's right for us to do what God would have us to do or to listen to you? To listen to you who crucified Christ or to listen to God who rose Christ from the grave. To listen to you who are opposed to Christ and are puppets of the devil. Or listen to God who we'll give an account to on judgment day. You judge. What's better to do? We need to judge that. What's better to be shrunk back in fear of the torments or to step out of faith knowing we're going to get empowered by the Holy Spirit? God's going to go before us. Yes, there'll be some uncomfortable things along the way. There'll be some pushback and trials and tribulation. But if God is for you, who could be against you? Listen, life here is very short. It comes and it goes. So much better to walk by faith than to be gripped by fear. Verse 20, it says, For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. They say, we have to preach Jesus. We have to talk about this. There's no other option. He says, but we cannot but speak of this. What else was there to talk about? They've been commanded by God to preach the resurrected Christ, commissioned to take forth the gospel to all the world. Ultimately, listen, the commands of God... They triumph or they trump over any commandments of men. We want to be mindful of the laws of the land. But when those laws start infringing on the things God called us to do, that's when we have to step back and know God's the ultimate authority. We've got to follow the Lord. You see this with Daniel. Don't pray. Daniel went and prayed. You see with Nehemiah. Don't build the wall. They went and built the wall. They're telling them not to preach Jesus. They go and they preach Jesus. I know some people are thinking right now, they said not to have church. Why aren't we having church? We may be getting there real soon. We're praying about that. It's a little different when there's a pandemic and you're trying to believe the best that this is about loving your neighbor and keeping them from being sick than them just singling out Christians and saying, you can't preach Jesus. There's a difference there. We got to make sure we don't take the devil's bait. And in us saying, hey, we're going to have church a couple weeks earlier and ruin our witness to many people in the community. There's a balance in that. I know some people don't get that. They just look at everything from their own angle, but you got to look at the old perspective because we're having church right now. 
And you can have it in your home. And I hope that we're mature enough in Christ that in our homes we can be having church with Jesus every single day and in every single turn. Because I know in my family, I feel like we've grown a lot in the Lord in this time and just seeking Him in our home. And I hope that's been the case for you as well. And this time is going to pass. And again, we might be moving to the time of saying, listen, okay, we know the truth about all of this. We know the truth about the virus now though it's kind of hard to know the full truth about it. And now we're getting worried because there's some people isolated that are throwing stones at everyone on the snitch line, calling in on people, and they're destroying their own immune system. The doctor and the lady with the scarf, I don't think they're talking a lot about that, but it's true science, it's true medicine, where social distancing is a theory I don't want to go off on a rant here. <laughs> but they're like, we're going to preach Jesus. We're preaching Jesus. Verse 21, so when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them. Why? Because of the people. Since they all glorified God for what had been done. For the man was over 40 years old on whom the miracle of healing had been performed. So I guess they said, well, he didn't grow out of it. He's been there for over 40 years so we know it's a real miracle. I guess if he was 35, they said, oh, you know, he, he, he healed up on his own. <laughs> I don't know what the mindset was in that, but obviously it was, you know, a part of the determining factor. But notice the difference. These men were unwilling to act on their conviction out of fear of the people. Peter and John acted on their conviction out of what? Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If these guys really believe what they believe, these high priest and so forth, they would have said, we don't care what these people think. These guys are wrong. Arrest them right now. In fact, we're going to stone them right now. We could care less about what the people are saying or thinking. Peter has a fear of God, though. And they're like, we're going to preach Jesus. We're going to go forward in the Lord, and we need to do the same. Listen, we're going to partake of communion this morning as we close here. Uh, the worship team is going to come up. Here, we're going to worship with one last song. I'm going to pray right now. And then after this song, we are going to partake of communion together and then uh, close out our time. And then from 11 to 12, we'll be in the parking lot for drive-through prayer this morning. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you. We give you glory. We thank you for your word. We just thank you that you are good and your word is good. And we thank you, Jesus, that you made this so, so simple, God. Lord, we look at your law and we know we're sinners. The Spirit of God convicts us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that you did what we couldn't do. You lived a sinless life. And because you were without sin, death couldn't hold you. you. You resurrected from the grave. And we thank you, Lord, that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Oh, Lord God, we pray this day that, Lord, there be people calling upon the name of the Lord for salvation. And if that's you this morning, I can't encourage you enough to call upon the name of the Lord, even today, even right now, to humble your heart before him. Don't be like these men we read about this morning who continue to walk in their pride, rejecting the gift of Jesus and eternal life. Lord, just strengthen us as a people and as a church. We need your help, God, at every turn. We need to be strengthened from upon a high God. Lord, we just thank you, Lord, for your broken body and your shed blood. And this morning, Lord, we want to partake of the Lord's Supper. And we want to do it in remembrance of you. So just prep and prepare our hearts right now as we worship you. And then as we partake of the communion table, God, after this, this uh, worship song unto our God. Let's worship the Lord right now.
again. We thank you for a beautiful morning. We thank you, God, for this time of worship, Lord. We thank you, God, for the scriptures in our Bible study and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Lord, that we can partake right now of the Lord's Supper. And indeed, we want to do that in remembrance of you. Lord, we thank you for the bread that we hold in our hands, Lord, and we want to remember your body broken for us. That indeed, Jesus, on the cross of Calvary, you took the wrath due us upon yourself, that you were pierced for our transgressions. Lord Jesus, I want to pray, God, that, Lord, we wouldn't lose sight, God, in fact, that we would grow in the understanding, God, of the depth of love demonstrated to us in you laying down your life for us. So even as you took bread and you broke it that night at the Passover there in the upper room, Lord, you bless that bread, Lord. We pray that you bless this bread right now. And Jesus, we just thank you for your body broken for us. Let's eat together. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for the cup of the new covenant. We thank you for your blood shed for us. Lord, we know without it there's no remission of sins. And we thank you that in Christ Jesus we are no longer under the law that finds us guilty and damns us to hell, but we're under the life of Jesus, under the blood of Jesus. We're under the grace of God, knowing that we are forgiven, knowing that we're a new creation in Christ Jesus. Oh, Lord, we need wisdom. We need direction. Lord, this morning, we need a fresh filling of your Holy Spirit. And so as we drink of the cup, we pray that you give us that and that you be glorified and honored in all things. Just bless the cup. Let's drink together. Lord, continue to bless the rest of this day. We thank you that you're on the throne and that you've made this day. And just shine your face on your people and meet with them in a great way, God. Bless them today, and we ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, God bless you. I'm so glad that you uh, joined us this morning online. I encourage you to be sharing, you know, these messages with other folks. Uh, real easy way of doing that right through whatever platform you're on. And again, from 11 to 12, we'll be out in the parking lot. So about half an hour, we'll be out there. So I encourage you to come by this morning if you need prayer. Maybe you gave your life to the Lord today. Come by. Uh, 6955 Portola Road here in Atascadero. We'd love to put a Bible in your hands and even talk to you about the Lord and God's goodness and so forth and just help you in your new walk with Jesus Christ. And uh, Wednesday at 6.30, uh, we'll be here again streaming in uh, the book of Psalms. So God bless you.